plan to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Chapter 12, the first three verses, we'll find these words written, uh, translated through the ESV. Uh, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to gather with your people to look at your word. I thank you that we have already had a chance to, to think about you through the worship and song, worship and giving. And now, Father, we worship as we look at your word. We ask, Father, that you would be present with us, that your spirit would fill us, uh, that we might hear, speak, that our hearts may be soft and receptive to what your word says. And, Lord, that we might be changed by it, transformed into the image of Christ. I pray, Lord, that your people would hear just what they need to hear from you, that you may be honored and glorified, and that it may produce in them faithful lives, and in me as well. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You may be seated. So I think it was two Christmases ago, just a few days before Christmas, uh, I was leaving here from work to meet my mother and my family at the Ollie's on 22, and I drove out there that day uh, to meet them. Uh, you know, that part of the year, uh, after 5 o'clock, it's, it's dark, and so it was dark, and it was cold, and I made my way out to Ollie's, and we went inside because my wife was picking a couple of items up, so I met them there, went in the store with them. And then uh, after we finished shopping, I don't remember what we were getting, we grabbed those items and headed out. Uh, we loaded up in our two cars that we had come in because we were going out to a different place. When I sat in my car and turned it on, unfortunately, it would not start. And so I made several of the attempts to get the car started, but it just wouldn't start. Uh, and then I realized that after my wife was like, hey, what's going on with the car? I was like, it looks like it's not going to start. So I then do what I like to do in those types of situations. I reached for my wallet and pulled out my trusty AAA card called AAA, and AAA was so nice that within 20 to 30 minutes, there was a rep who came out, uh, and he came out to where I was at, and uh, we pushed the car back to the back of the lot, uh, the two of us, uh, while my wife and kids sat in the warm other car. Um, well, we'll, we'll talk about that later, <laughs> but anyway, never mind. Um, yes, and so we pushed the car back, opened up the hood, and he went to work, and he tried a variety of things, and I worked with him while he tried to get it started, and you know, probably after, I guess, about 30 minutes, he realized he was not going to get the car started. And it was at that point we had to make a decision. So my wife and I talked about it, and we're like, okay, hey, we need to get the car towed. So we were like, hey, let's tow it back to the dealership, which was right across the street. It's right before Christmas time. You know, people are busy doing other things. And so let's, let's take it to the shop down the road. So we did. Uh, because the shop was closed at that point, we had to leave it in the night drop, and I had to take my keys, and I put them in the, the night drop box. And so I left that, and then we headed home for the night. The next morning, I took the car, our, our, our second car, the one that was working, and was heading into work, but I had to stop by the dealership first because I needed to explain to them that they actually had my car and that it was there and I had left it, what had happened, to tell them what the AAA guy had said so they could kind of figure that out, and then if they wouldn't mind calling me later that day. And so, and then I headed off to work. So when we got here, it worked that day, and just was working through the day, and later that afternoon, they, of course, the dealership called me, and they did have the answer for a price. 
Uh, they, they shared that price with me. Uh, it was not the numbers I was looking for, but they were numbers. Uh, and so uh, numbers I didn't want to pay because I was not ex- expense I was expecting to pay. And, but, you know, you have to get your car fixed because you need to have it working so you can get around and get to work. Well, thankfully for me, I didn't have to worry about it, although I didn't like the amount that they were saying to me because of the problem I was having, which was a major issue with the car, uh, which I did not realize was going to be happening. But they told me, but, and, and I was still, but I was thankful that I didn't have to really worry about it because while we were on our way the night before to the dealership following the, tro- the tow truck, uh, in the car, my mom said to me, hey, listen, your dad and I would like to uh, pay for your car's repair as our Christmas gift to you this year. And of course, that made me very happy. I was extremely thankful, right? To get that kind of gift, you know, especially when you don't know what the bill is going to be, right? But, but I, I was grateful. I didn't like the fact that they paid the money, but, but thankful that I didn't have to pay. You know, and, and Christmas is coming up in a couple of weeks. Hopefully, you know, you will each have a chance to go to the tree whether that tree is right side up or upside down, if you follow a different tradition, uh, decorated. But maybe you may find some gifts. That if you, that's if you practice Christmas that way. Uh, and maybe you'll find a box under the tree, and it'll have your name on it. And you'll open it up, and inside will be something that you have desired this year. And, you know, that will make for a nice Christmas. But what I've often found, though, more so is that what I've really found is that when I receive a gift that I need, I find it more meaningful. And that's what the car was for me. It was something that I truly needed. And to be able to receive that gift for Christmas was tremendous. And that's what it represented. And I would venture to guess that if you could have something that you needed in your life more than something you necessarily desired, you would want that for Christmas. Let me give you a few examples of what that might look like. For some in this room, uh, if you were able to go to the tree this Christmas and you were able to unwrap the gift and inside that gift, it had something that said, Today, your wayward child is going to be restored to you. And right after you opened that gift, the doorbell rang. You went to the door, and that child who had been astray was standing at the door with tears in their eyes, weeping over whatever they had been doing in their life. And they said, I want to get my relationship right with you, and I want to get my relationship right with God. You would probably think that gift to be priceless. For some of you, for others, at least in this room, you would love for this Christmas if you were able to go to the tree and the box that had your name on it, you opened it, and inside of it said, your relationship issues in your home have been resolved. So that when you woke up on Christmas morning, the tension that was in the relationship that was producing that emotional distance that was driving you apart was all resolved now. The relationship was fully restored, and there was harmony again in your home, and now love and peace ruled in your home. I'm sure you would appreciate having that gift on Christmas morning. For some of you, you would love the gift if you could open their gift and inside of it with your name on it, you could open it and say today, physical health for you. So that the next morning when you woke up and you stepped out of bed, you immediately noticed the difference. There was no more pain. It was gone permanently. You would probably love to have that gift for Christmas. For some of you, if you went to the tree and you were able to look under the tree and you opened up the box and inside that box, it said a second chance at life. You would love to have that gift, to be able to to wake up the next day and and everything that had happened in your past, all all the wrong decisions you had made, things you had done wrong, how you hadn't kept word or, or broken promises or done things that you shouldn't have done in life, that that was all forgotten. It was cleanly wiped away. And now you had a fresh start at life. Again, I'm sure you would be happy to receive that gift. 
For some of you, you, you would love to go to the tree, and if you were able to get under the tree and open the tree, the gift, and open the, tree, the gift under the tree, and inside of it it said, fulfilling work. That you got up the next morning and there was a phone call for you. And when that phone call called, it was from a company that you had longed to work for because they were doing exactly what you would love to do and fits your gifting and the way you're built. And you were able to use that and go to work every day with joy in your heart and feel fulfilled about what you do. And oh, yes, the added bonus is they're able to give you a check that takes care of your needs and for enough to where you could help take care of the needs of others. You probably would love to have that gift. And perhaps for some of you, if you could get to the tree and you could get under the tree and you could find in there and you could open the box and inside that box that just simply said, you will now have inward peace. No more those anxious thoughts worrying you. No more the fears plaguing you. Only now inward calm and a clarity of mind. I'm sure you would love to have that on Christmas Day. And for some of you, because life has just been hard, You've had to work hard. You've had to labor. Your hours are long. You would love to go to the tree, and inside that tree, you would love to find under the tree this gift, and then you open it up and just say simply, rest. Where you were able truly, even though you weren't working, you were finally able to truly rest. See, the best gifts for Christmas are not always the ones we desire, they're really the ones that we need. Now, all the gifts I've mentioned point us to ultimately to a gift that we really all need greater than any of these because it is from, these, from this gift that all the other ones flow. And that is the greatest need uh, that we have, whether we know it or not. Now, last week, Pastor Mike introduced us to this concept of what has happened with humanity. He talked about it as he went over the first chapters of Genesis he laid out for us that in those first chapters, it retells this ancient story about what happened with humanity and God and how we lost access to paradise. And that, that was kind of what he told as he went through those chapters. And I believe ultimately those gifts that I mentioned that we all need in some form, fashion, or another are really longings in humanity to return to the state of affairs that was happening in Eden. That inside of us, we know that the world is not the way that it ought to be. And we long for it to be the way that it was in Eden. We want things to be different. We want the world to be set aright. Because when we read about Eden, we see there in the garden in that region called Eden, humans found joy in their work. Uh, it, it was fulfilling for them to work. Uh, there was physical health, no disease, uh, 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 no sickness, no illness. There was inner peace. There was no turmoil tearing at you. There was a, a focus of mind. There were healthy relationships, no, no tension, no, no emotional distance, no shame. Just joy, love, closeness, fellowship, transparency. And most of all, there was a relationship with the divine. Humans had a chance to walk with God in this sacred space called the Garden of Eden. But Pastor Mike told us that this wonderful story came to an end. And now we live in the world that it is as a result of those first decisions, those first humans making a decision that, hey, you know what? We, don't like, we, don't, we think we're going to opt for self-rule instead of God ruling us. We're going to decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. We're going to decide for ourselves what is right 
and what is wrong. And in that moment when they decided, no, no, God, we'll make the decision for ourselves about what's right and wrong, their relationship with God was severed. Sin entered the world and death began its reign. We lost our relationship with God, and in turn, because our relationship with God was lost, human relationships began to unravel. And all of a sudden, this this wonderful gift that God had given now turned into a problem. The relationships became distorted, and as we read about history and we look through history, we often find that human relationships become harmful because one seeks power over another and is willing to do whatever is necessary to gain that power or that advantage over another person. Work became hard. It just became about survival. It's not until the last few centuries, and of course, with the events of technology, that life has had a change for us, different than it had been for many centuries before. But work was hard. Life was about survival. Food was limited, and there was peace gone from the earth. Now there's tension in relationships, and war seems to be the order of the day. Death set, set its teeth in us. And now all of a sudden we were susceptible to decay, deterioration, and pain. And our own bodies, which were meant to be a part of this good thing that God had given us and making us whole, had now began to rebel against us. Now there have been those in human history who sought, because of what Eden was, to try to recapture and regain an Eden-like state here on the planet. But what you'll find for all those attempts at Eden is that someone else always pays the cost. Some few enjoy it while others suffer. It's not Eden for everybody. See, the key to Eden in the text is God. The reason that paradise was the way it was, it was ordered like that, life was like it was, relationships were the way they were, health was the way it was, human had inner peace of the way it was, was because God is who he is. See, what makes paradise wonderful, what makes it paradise, is God's presence in that place. He's the one who makes it all wonderful. That's why heaven is heaven. Heaven is heaven because God is there. It's his presence that makes it great. The psalmist put it this way. He said, Lord, at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. In light of what Pastor Mike talked about last week, and in light of the first chapters of Genesis, it points beyond those needs that I mentioned. Those are all true needs, but the greatest need that we have as human beings, because that need, once it's met, begins to fix all those other needs, is that we need a relationship with God. A right relationship with God is the track to fix all the other things back. If I were to use picturesque, that's the road back to Eden, is a right relationship with God. Pastor Mike laid out, though, that there's a problem in our world that keeps us from getting there. And the problem is that sin stands in the way. Because sin uh, has become like a slave master for us, such that it corrupts us and causes us to disobey God. And when we're disobedient to God, we act in ways that are hostile toward God. uh, Because we're hostile towards other humans. Let me give you an example of that. This um, This past Cyber Monday... Like, you know, right after Thanksgiving, after Black Friday, I was at home doing my bills like I usually do on Mondays. Mondays is my day to sit down and reconcile account from the week, put in all the receipts, check the bank account, make sure everything is lining up, make sure that we actually have money, you know, that, that type of thing, before we go out and spend it. Um, 
And so I was reconciling things, and I noticed as I was checking the account, uh, there were a variety of charges from a local electronics store. So I left the computer open. I stood up immediately and walked downstairs to where my wife was in the kitchen. And I said, sweetheart, can I talk to you for a moment? She was like, sure. So I was like, hey, um, I know it's getting close to Christmas. Have you been on a shopping spree, you know, doing a little secret shopping to, to give some gifts and stuff like that? And she was like, no. I was like, hey, you sure you didn't shop at this store right here, you know, bought a lot of things? And she was like, no, nope, no, I haven't been there. I haven't been doing any shopping there. So I was like, okay. In that moment, I realized that my account had been compromised. Someone had gotten our information, and they decided that on our account, they were going to have themselves a merry little Christmas. <laughs> and so they bought a lot of items. Now, what would make a person take someone else's information during a season of giving to give to themselves? Well, the Bible is clear. Sin. Sin is a master, and it will enslave you and cause you to disobey God because it will corrupt you. In Genesis 4, we see what, what happens when sin is unleashed in the world, and the rest of Scripture is replete with ideas, but we see in those first chapters how bad sin is. You might be thinking to yourself, if you were to read Genesis chapter 3, you might say, well, <laughs> you know, my goodness, what do they really do? They just ate some fruit that God said don't eat. How bad could this stuff really be? And Genesis 4 says, let me show you. And so we find immediately after that, what we start noticing is with Cain, there's faulty worship. In Cain's heart, uh, what happens is, is as they're bringing worship to God, Cain, unlike Abel, which Genesis is pointing out, Cain comes to God and he just basically says to God, I'm just going to give you whatever. Whereas Abel takes time and offers to God his very best. And so God says, if you're going to throw me whatever, guess what? I'm not accepting it. How you like that? You want to offer me some any kind of worship? No, thank you. Right? And so Cain, what does he do? He's frustrated. God talks to him about this. But what's the issue? His heart is the issue. Sin is taken hold. What does he do? He becomes jealous. And what does he do as a result of that? Instead of fixing his worship, he attacks his brother and murders him. And then we watch the story unfold, and the next thing we see is that violence multiplies in the land and exploitation of women and, and others and greed and pride. All of a sudden, the world has gotten really bad. And as humanity continues to populate and increase, so does the evil. So much so that God is, as the text puts it, grieved that he's ever made a human being. And so he decides to wash the world clean from all the filth that humans have done. And you would think to yourself, oh, wow, this one family got through that. You know, that's so great. They surely have learned their lesson. They won't do that again after what they just saying. They, they just won't do it. It won't ever happen again. The world will never go back to being that kind of world. As soon as the world starts to populate again, humans find their way back to those old paths of self-interest and self-rule. It's not before long that the world finds itself in a very similar situation. And this time, all the humans gather together because they all speak one language. And what do they do? They try to elevate themselves to the status of a divine being. And so God says, no, nah, we're not going to do things that way. But I did promise I wasn't going to watch the world again. So we're going to have to do it a different way this time. So I'm going to scatter you, give you different languages so you can't do this again. So the world is scattered People are given different languages and they develop different cultures and that becomes the nations of the world. 
And since the nations had rebelled against God's rule, they said to God, listen, we would like to rule ourselves instead of you telling us what to do. God says, okay, well, I am going to reach you, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to make my own nation just for me that's going to represent me to you so that I can ultimately bring you back to me. And how does God initiate this plan? He starts with just the unlikeliest things, one man. And he enters a relationship with this one man. That brings us back to Genesis chapter 12. Notice what the text says. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God says to this former idolater, idol worshiper who's now coming to relationship with the true God because God calls that relationship to happen because God found him and chose him and picked him and revealed himself to him. He says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And I'm going to do that because I want to bless you so that you can be a blessing. And ultimately, I want to work through you to bless everybody else who's on the planet. See, the other nations were outside of Abraham, and God says, uh, I'm going to work through your family, through your descendancy, to bring everybody back to me. We see that this is a theme that God repeats in Abraham's life over and over again. There was one time that God had come to visit Abraham, and God was going down to visit Sodom and Gomorrah, and we all know how that turned out. But before he went down to visit Sodom and Gomorrah, he has this conversation with Abraham, and he ends the conversation by saying this when he's revealing his plans about what he's about to do to Abraham. But he says this, and he picks that theme back up. And he's talking about, I'm going to go down, and should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And then he goes on and he says this, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. God says the way that he's going to extend his blessing through the nations is going to come through Abram, who later was named by God, Abraham. I'm going to bless everybody else, all the people from the rest of the world through you. That's the way I'm going to work. Now, in his life, if you were to read his life, you would find out that God blessed him in a variety of ways, a number of ways. But there's one specific blessing that is of great importance to us, and it happens in chapter 15, verse 6. And this is what God blessed him with. Notice what it said. So God gives him this promise, right, about having descendants because Abraham's been talking to God like, look, I'm getting old. I don't have any kids. My wife and I don't have any kids. We need an heir. And that was really important in the ancient world. And so he's like, God, you know, I'm following you. Can you, like, fix that problem for me? And God's like, I'm going to take care of it. I'm not only going to take care of it, but I'm going to do more than what you can even think of. Come outside. I want you to look up at the heavens. And they didn't have all the light pollution. So he was able to see the universe and the stars. And he looked up and he said, he said, can you count those? Abraham was like, no. He said, well, your children are going to be like that. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And, God, and then notice what he said, how Abraham responded to that. When he was old, his wife was old. And God says, we're going to make it different than what you think. Notice what he said. And he, being Abram, believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. God counted Abraham's faith and trust in him and his word and how he revealed. Abraham said, I believe you, Lord. I trust you what you're saying. I believe that you're going to do exactly what you said. And God then did a booking term. That is, he took his faith and in lieu of that counted it as righteousness on Abraham's account. That is, he said, I count you, Abraham, in a right relationship with me because you trust me. 
because of your faith. Now, we might ask, well, how is this blessing going to get to us? I've already mentioned it, but let me show you how God talks about it in the text. Right after Abraham deals with this whole Isaac situation where God is testing Abraham with his son Isaac, he had already had another son, but this specific son was special to him because it had come through his wife. And so Isaac was a blessing and God was testing him. And after that test, when he passed that test, God says this about ultimately how the blessing will come. Notice what the text says. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice, obeyed about Isaac. He says, in you, your, through your offspring, is how I'm going to bless the nations. Ultimately, as this gets picked up in the New Testament, that is that ultimately, Abraham, one of your descendants, I'm going to use one of your descendants to bless the nations of the earth. I'm going to come through you, the blessing is going to come through you to one of your descendants, and your descendant is going to mediate that blessing out to all the peoples of the earth. Now, if you were to pick up your Bible and you started reading Abraham's story forward, you were just doing some Bible reading, you were on your yearly plan to start reading the Bible, you would notice how this starts playing out. God does make Abraham a great and mighty nation. He works through his son Isaac, and then through Isaac comes Jacob, and out of Jacob comes 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel, and they ultimately form that nation called, as I just stated, Israel. And they become known as the people of God. Why? Because they, unlike the other nations on the planet, have a special relationship with God that the other nations don't have. Let me explain to you why I'm saying it that way. I'll prove it to you. They become the people of God because God reveals himself to them in a way that he does not reveal himself to the other nations on the planet. You say, well, that's interesting. How does that work? Well, notice what the text does as you keep reading. Not only does God reveal himself to them, but then God makes promises to this specific people group. And then he enters into covenants with them. Then he gives them his law so they can know how they ought to live in relationship to a holy God. And then he provides for their needs and he protects them from others who would seek to hurt them and harm them. And ultimately he declares himself as king over their nation. Unlike any other nations, and although God is king of all things, but he's in a special kingship over Israel because he rules them directly. He's their king. So he's in a special relationship with them. And these are all the benefits that are given to Israel that are not given to the other nations. Just in case you think I may be fabricating this idea or making it up, the Apostle Paul picks up on this theme when he talks about the former state of Gentiles before they were saved. This is what he said to the church at Ephesus. He writes this. He says this, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles, people not of the physical, biological descendancy of Abraham, uh, Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, if you're like me, you're not a biological descendant of Abraham. That's not your heritage. As you turn page after page after page after page of the Bible, you begin to realize something. You're on the outside. They're on the inside. They're the people of God. You're not. You are descended from a different group of people, and you're ultimately from the nations. So how can I, who's not a part of Abraham's family, partake of Abraham's blessing that was given for him and for his family if I'm not one of his family? That was meant for 
his family? How could I become a part of the people of God if I wasn't born into that family? And what, is, what about that whole thing about God talking about this blessing that would ultimately come to the nations? Well, if you were to flip through the Old Testament and continue to read it, you would see hints of this. And it begins to talk about this and bring this theme up again and again and again. But for the sake of time today, I'm going to jump right to the New Testament where Paul sums it up for us. And he shows us how this played out in salvation history. And it happens in his, his letter where he writes to the Galatians. Now, the Galatians, there are Gentile and Jewish believers there. But in this church, there are some Gentile believers there. And as a result of that, there's some, a unique situation happening. So you've got people who've come to faith in the Jewish Messiah, this promised king of Israel, right? These promises given, new covenant given, all that. Uh, and they've come in and God has done something there. And they're being put on equal status with those who are from the nation of Israel. And, and this is a new concept that people are having to get their mind wrapped around. And so some of the people have come from the church of Jerusalem, it looks like, and they say to some of these Gentile believers, hey, not only do you need faith in Christ, but it would be real helpful for you if you really want to be in the people of God, for you to take the sign of the people of God, uh, for at least for you males. And that would be great if you could get circumcised, right? Now, that's an ouch moment for some people. And so, you know, while they're, they're considering this and thinking about this, Paul writes to refute that idea that that's necessary in the Christian life. And so he writes in that. And then it's in the midst of this argument, this long argument that Paul is making uh, to influence the believers there, these Gentile believers, that we find the answer to the question we're asking. We find that answer in Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. Let me read that text to you. Know then that it is those of faith who are of the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Now, this text is theologically dense. Uh, there's a lot of uh, argumentation about uh, what the law of God is there in New Testament scholarship, as well as faith or faithfulness, the faithfulness of Christ or faith in Christ being our faith in Christ, and which one actually should be translated in the text, along with a number of other issues. I'm not going to get into those today. I just simply want to point out a few things as it relates to the point that I'm making about the text uh, in regards to the point I'm trying to bring home. If you notice at the beginning of the verse, it talk, Paul lays out this concept and he says to the, the Gentile believers, listen, you are truly a child of Abraham because the people who are Abraham's children are those who live like Abraham. Specifically in this way, what he's talking about is faith in God. That Abraham, which he had just said in verse 6, he believed God, Genesis 12, 3, and it was, I'm sorry, 15, 6, and he was counted to him as righteousness. He says, you've done that same thing in your life. You've believed in God through Christ, and as a result of that, you are now the children 
of Abraham, the true children of Abraham. We see this kind of theme picked up in Jesus' ministry in John chapter 8 when he's having this conversation with some of his fellow Jews and he's talking about this whole issue and they're talking about their descendancy and they're claiming Abraham as their father. Jesus says, I know you're Abraham's descendants. He says, but some of you are trying to kill me. And he says, listen. Uh, And they're like, oh, no, we're Abraham's descendants. We're Abraham's descendants. And Jesus says to them, well, if you were really like Abraham, if he was really your father, then you would act like Abraham acted, and you would not be doing what you're doing. He says, ultimately, Abraham is not your father. You have a different spiritual parentage. And then he points in a direction they would prefer not to see. But the point was that there was this idea or concept that, that those who were like the father, who their father was, they would act like him in their behavior. So he says, those who are of faith like Abraham ultimately are the true children of Abraham. And he says, because you have acted like Abraham, because you have trusted in God through Christ as a result, then you become the true children of Abraham. Notice what verse 8 says in the text. If you look back there, Paul lays out to them and he says, this is not something new that God came up with. This was always God's plan, that he would reach out to the nations through Abraham to bring this blessing. What blessing? That Gentiles, those outside of the people of of, um, Abraham's descendancy, would be put back into a right relationship with God by faith in him. That was always God's plan. How do you know that? Because back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, when he said that he was going to bless the nation through that, that's exactly what God intended. He had, as Paul said, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. God was, when he was speaking to Abraham, forming the nation to represent himself, he was already thinking about you to bring you into his family so that you could be rightly related to him. This wasn't something new. This was something God had always been doing. He had already been moving in this direction so that we who were of the rebellious group, who were outside the people of God, could become the people of God and enter into the blessings that was given for the people of God, through Abraham. But how did this come to us? Genesis 22, 18 said, as I said earlier, that it would happen through an offspring of Abraham, that God would work through Abraham, through one of his descendants, to bless all the nations of the world. We know through salvation history, 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Jesus of Nazareth who lived, who was called Christ. He lived. He was a descendant of Abraham, and it's through him that all the nations of the earth are blessed because of what he did. See, when we place faith in Jesus Christ, when we believe in him as he has revealed himself, not only as Messiah but Lord of all the earth, then we become connected to him by faith, and as a result of that, we're adopted into God's family. And the wonderful thing is that that promise that was given to Israel about that new covenant becomes the covenant that we enter into, and we receive the blessing of that covenant, right standing with God, evidenced by the giving of the Holy Spirit to us. Acts chapter 10, when the Gentiles were first believing, because in Acts chapter 2, it was Jews who had received the promise of the Spirit, and they were excited about that, but they didn't know that God was still moving outward outside of the nation. So in Acts chapter 10, when Peter comes to Cornelius' house, and when he shows up and begins to share the good news, God shows that he accepts them and that the Gentiles are in right relationship with him because he gives to the Gentiles the same thing he gives to the Jews, the very Spirit of God. And thus, They are able to receive the Spirit by, as he argues in the text in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3, by Christian experience, that we gain the Spirit by believing what we heard about Jesus. 
And that's how we enter into a right relationship with God and receive the Spirit, and we're counted as righteous in right relationship, that we have met the standard of God so that we might be accepted by God. How did Jesus do this for us? Paul goes on after he lays out the the law. He lays out the sophisticated argument about the law. Let me sum it up in this way just to bring the point home. What Paul says is, as they're arguing about circumcision, he says it's Jesus plus nothing else that saves you. That's it. Jesus don't add anything to him, just Jesus. And that's how you're saved. It's only through him. Why is that? Because Jesus did what no other could do. Jesus lived as the faithful Israelite. He kept the law and fulfilled the covenant so that that contract was fulfilled. That covenant was done away with so that he could institute a new covenant. Why? By taking upon himself the penalty of the old covenant for a lawbreaker. We were all lawbreakers, rebels and traitors against God. But then Christ said, I will stand in their place and I will take the penalty that is due to them as a lawbreaker, though I have have no guilt of my own. And though I don't deserve to be cursed with the curse that comes as a result of breaking the law, let me take their place. And so Christ take our place on the cross. Our penalty was acquitted to him. And so as a result of that, it was counted to him. He was able to account to us the righteousness, his righteousness. And so our faith in him is what God then, like Abraham, blesses us to be counted in righteousness. Notice what the text says. It says that he became a curse for us. See, the blessing of Abraham is the blessing we most need to be put back into a right relationship with God so that God could declare us right with him. And in declaring us right with him, he would give us the gift of his personal presence so that he could come into our lives and transform us. And in transforming us and make us like his son, he begins to, to fix those broken relationships begins to to undo those other things. It points us and says, now you're on the path back to Eden. This is how you get back to paradise. It's this very thought that Paul picks up in Romans chapter 11. If you read Romans chapter 11, you'll notice that Paul argues this to Gentiles. He says, don't get proud that God has put you into his people. Just remember the fact that God took Israelites who, through unbelief, he broke them off the tree. He took you a wild olive branch. You were not a cultivated olive branch. You were a wild one. But God took you as a Gentile and grafted you in. Something that wasn't your natural position. He took you a wild and outside person and put you in his people. He said, so you ought to be humble and thankful because God included you and put you in to his people. The idea that I'm getting at here is kind of like something that we would often do over the summers in the last few years. We would go out with my, to my sister-in-law to visit her in Indianapolis. She worked for the zoo. And so we would get a chance to go out and we would go to the zoo as part of our chance to see the new animals, the new exhibits, the new enclosures and what new things, the animals they had picked up, uh, you know, throughout time and had changed since the last time we had been there. Now we would go in like everybody else and we would get a chance to go out and we would see the elements, you know, the, the elephants and the tigers and the cheetahs and, and the rhinos. And we would be with the crowd with everybody else standing at a distance. You know, the, the, the elephant is way over there. You looking at him, eating and doing, yeah, look, at there's an elephant, sweetheart. Look right there, you know, and you could see him. And after we would do the tour like everyone else, then she would take us backstage. We would go into the exhibit halls, and I got a chance to, to go up and, and go into the area where the elephants were at and the elephant keepers, and we got to walk up to the elephant and rub on the elephant, touch the elephant, get a chance to see the elephant up close and personal, take pictures with the elephant, get elephant paintings. I was getting a chance to go back and touch on the rhino right there and pet the rhino, look the rhino face to face. 
Got a chance to feed the giraffes where, where the giraffe will come right down, put his feet right there. Up close and personal blessings. I did get a chance to see the lion, but I didn't go over and touch him. <laughs> I felt that Daniel was a good example. He had an angel and I had bars. <laughs> All right? The lion wasn't too friendly. But nevertheless, it was because of my relationship with my sister-in-law because I didn't have access. I didn't have a right to go to the back. But because I was in relationship with the one who did have access, I was able to enjoy the blessings because of her access. What Paul is saying is the reason you can enjoy Abraham's blessings and you get to come back and you do get to enjoy all that stuff is because you're related to the one who does have access by faith, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the wonderful thing about what Paul is saying. Brothers and sisters, this is why Christmas is so important for us as Christians, especially the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we, as those who are from the nations, we realize that we had no access. We were wild olive trees on the outside, branches that were not part of the people of God. No access, no hope without God in the world. And then Christ was born, and that all changed. His birth meant a change for us. A way to come back into relationship with not just the God of Israel, but Genesis 1 points that the God of Israel is the God who has made all things. We were able to get back into a right relationship with our creator because of Jesus. No birth of Jesus, no blessings of Abraham. Jesus is the reason why we rejoice. And that's why Christmas is so significant for us, because Jesus mediates to us the greatest gift that we could have, a right relationship with God. And that's why him being born in the manger is so significant, because with the coming of Christ meant the coming of a change for us. And that's why the words of Simeon have so much weight for me. Remember with Simeon, he was an old man who had lived his life faithful to God and in the temple, and right before he was dying, he got a chance to see Christ as an infant. And this is what he said about him. He said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. That is, he's getting ready to die according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. That's the blessing this Christmas. Whether you get something with your name under the tree or honored or not, if you're a Christian, you've already been tremendously blessed. Because you have been given the greatest gift that any human could ever receive. A right relationship with God by faith through his son, Jesus Christ. I love the way my wife, after listening to the message last night, I always like to go and ask my wife, so did you get anything out of the message? You know, because you looked a little sleepy last night, you know. <laughs> you know, when your wife's sleeping, no, you know it's bad. <laughs> and she summed the message up like this, and I thought this was appropriate. She said this. She said, I am glad that we have a loving God who included us in his plans. That's what this message is all about. That's the great gift. You have a loving God who has included you in his plans. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, how awesome and great you are. Lord, I thank you for the reality of what Paul says by the spirit he spoke, that your word, the scripture is your word that speaks to us and said to us that, Lord, this was not a happenstance. This was not some accident, something you came up with last minute that when you were at the very beginning of forming the people in Abraham, you were already thinking about bringing us into your family. At the very beginning of the plans, you had already showed us where you were going. And so, Lord, we were always in the plan. 
and you were working it out. And we thank you that you have done that in history. And we now live on this side of your plans to see how you accomplished that. Many longed to see it. Many waited for it for years, never knowing how it ultimately accomplished. But now we live on the other side of the cross and through the other side of the resurrection, knowing that it was in Jesus, your son, that you have accomplished this for us. And we thank you, Lord, that by faith, that this is by faith and not by us having to keep the works of the law, that it is by faith in your son alone, it is in faith in him that we have access and right relationship to you. We bless you. We give you all the glory and all the honor because you're the one who has done it all. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing our final song and then we'll dismiss you.